Hello, everyone. I am just thrilled and excited to be able to uh, present to you Peter Tehan and John Ockenfels, who recently completed a round-the-world trip in their uh, little Cessna airplane uh, to raise money and attention for the fight to end polio. Uh, this is going to be such a great discussion. These two great Rotarians are here with us to share their stories of their uh, incredible round-the-world journey. Uh, Peter, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, now, uh, Peter, tell us a little bit about how this whole thing came to be. This is quite an undertaking. Well, it is. It's a big undertaking, and it really came as a, a dream I had back in about 2018. Uh, I flown for about 50 years now and i travel around the world and i always thought what it would be like if to have my plane and flying it around all these countries and i wonder if it could happen and so about 2018 2019 i started thinking about it and said i think i'm going to see if it's even possible or what the challenges are so i uh, i told my wife i said uh, I'm going to, I'm thinking about flying my plane around the world. I'm going to see if it's possible, see what it is. And, and uh, I, I laughingly say now she was the perfect mom. I mean, we're all perfect dads, all that. But in the sense of, uh, you know, you get a kid come up with a crazy idea and you don't say that's a dumb idea. You're stupid. You're not doing it or whatever. She said, sure, honey, go ahead and, and plan it. It'd be interesting. And so off I went for about a year. Uh, did all the research planning, came up with a route, came up with some of the hurdles. And I came back to her and said, look what I found out. I can do it. I think I really want to do it. And I was going to do it as a solo pilot. And uh, she looked at me and said, you're serious. You're actually wanting to do this? I think she had hoped that I had gotten distracted and found something else less stressful and stuff or that I couldn't do it. But uh, from that moment on, she was very supportive with one caveat. She said, you can do it, but you're not doing it by yourself. Uh, you better find somebody as crazy as uh, you that would be willing to fly a single engine airplane around the world. And uh, I thought of John. So I called John up. John's a cousin by marriage. He's my wife's cousin. And, and we had a great conversation. Uh, called him up one day and said, and John and I had never really met at that point. We had ran into each other, but he was real active in Rotary and had not been to a lot of family events. My wife and I have been married eight years, and so he was gone a lot of times we were having family events. So I called him up and said, hey, John, this is Peter T, and I'm married to your cousin, Jan. I want to stop by your office at the airport. Can I stop by and talk to you? And didn't give him a clue of what we were talking about. And tell yep. him the story, John. Well, it was kind of interesting because he was kind of in the area right then, and so a short time later, he's sitting down there and my office is literally in my hangar at the airport. So when he says crazy, you mark that up to number one. And uh, in any event, uh, we started talking about some of the things Peter done, his background, his, his adventures with the American Red Cross and some of the things he's done there. Eventually got around to talk. Well, obviously, we got around to talking about airplanes as we both have that passion. And uh, we started talking about a trip that Peter was talking about taking around the world. And that got more and more exciting as the day went on. We talked for probably an hour and a half or so about the logistics and what it takes and what's going to happen. And he finishes this conversation quite succinctly in a very low voice. He kind of looked across and says, well, you know, you could join me if you wanted to. 
And I'm going, did I really hear that? And of course I did. And I was very careful about my response to that because, you know, the old story about what, what you ask for because you might get it. Well, that's kind of what was going on here. Uh, that little boy inside me was jumping up and down and turning somersaults and while this is going to be fun. But I had been in business for quite a long time. I was aware of what goes on with flying, and I was aware of some of the challenges of flying an airplane around the world. And so that older, more mature kind of guy on the outside is going, yeah, I'll get back to you. And uh, it really did take me a couple weeks before I really did get back to him to give him an answer. And I know that he was thinking that I probably wasn't coming back. One of the things that led to that answer, however, happened very quickly one morning because before I could do this, I had to talk to, we all know the higher power. In this case, that would be my wife. And I wanted to make sure she was on board and okay with it before I want, before I even approached going. But I also wanted to make sure that I was on board and wanted to go with it before I really talked to her. So that was my biggest dilemma was my own self. Well, we were at a family uh, get together one morning for breakfast for a few of our elderly aunts who were having birthdays. And one of those aunts is Janet, Peter's wife, and uh, about the time I'm sitting in the parking lot with my wife talking about a couple of things, Janet comes pulling in, and I all of a sudden realize the world's about to come to an end, because I knew the first thing Janet was going to ask me is, are you going to join Peter for this trip around the world in the airplane? Well, the next 10 minutes, my wife and I had that conversation that we'd been talking about, and uh, in, in all seriousness, she was very supportive of it at that point, and uh, a lot of we'll talk more about this later, but uh, quite frankly, our wives have been the rock. They have been the foundation of our trip around the world. We couldn't have done it without them. That's fantastic. Well, Peter, I wonder if you take just a minute and tell us a little bit about the route you took. Well, that's evolved over time. You know, we we our first flight was scheduled for 2020 and 2021, and and then we had a third time before this year. Uh, those three attempts, we were flying the northern route. So you go up through Newfoundland to Iceland, Europe, kind of over Thailand, Singapore, and then you took off east over to Malaysia or over to uh, Philippines, Japan, Russia, and then to uh, cross the Bering Strait into Alaska. That's going to be the most popular route because you avoid the threatening and overwhelming big Pacific Ocean, because your biggest jump is 80 miles or so across the Bering Strait into Alaska. Uh, we were 10, we actually had a farewell party, a fundraiser, a pancake breakfast, sending us off, and we were departing 10 days later in 2020 when COVID broke out, shut the world down, that shut our flight down. Uh, we said, can't last long, we'll do it in this fall. Obviously, that didn't happen, and then we said, okay, spring of 2021, COVID will certainly be over with. It wasn't. We had to cancel again. But we knew that 2022 would be the year we went. We geared up. We had our plane modified. We invested a lot of time and effort and routing. Uh, only to shortly before we took off in 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. That shut down the Russian airspace. We could no longer go the northern route. Now it was three years of failing at an attempt. Uh, we were getting frustrated. Let's just call that the low point in this whole trip. Yeah. When we got the letters from Russia. Russia disinvited us to their their uh, country to land, and we knew we couldn't go. So 
we had a challenge because the plane we were flying at that time could not could make the northern route in good shape, but was not capable of the southern route, which is a route we took this year. So we had to sell a plane. We had to get a new plane of the Cessna 210 single engine piston engine and uh, and plan a completely different route. And so the basically the beginning from Newfoundland, Iceland through Europe, uh, Crete, Jordan, United Arab Emirates, uh, and, and Thailand stayed the same. And then this time we went uh, down to uh, include Sri Lanka over to Thailand, down to Kuala Lumpur, into Surabaya, and then jumped over into Australia. And we had three stops there. We had uh, uh, Darwin. Uh, Canes or Canes and Brisbane uh, before we took off to the islands. And I always call this the romantic route because this is the historical route that pilots used to take all through the South Pacific. But the big challenge is you're in a single engine airplane. You know, going over the North Atlantic was bad enough. That was nine hours of freezing air and freezing weather uh, from Newfoundland over to Iceland. But when you go to the Pacific, when we departed Pango Pango, we were looking at 17 hour flight over the South Pacific going to Hawaii. Um, and then the next leg was uh, uh, Maui over to Oakland, California, which was over 15 hours. 90 95% of the time, we had no communication. We were not seen on radar. Nobody really knew where we were at. And when we uplinked our position reports, most of them didn't go anywhere because of poor satellite coverage. But that was the only option we had to either cancel whole tri trip or run the risk of doing the Southern route. And that's what we did this year. It was a fantastic route, a lot of details we can share. But that's how we canceled three years of effort and expenditures that we spent on going the Northern route to come up with this route that was so successful and we just completed a week and a half ago. And we were one of the people that were telling other people a year ago, it was impossible to do the Southern route. Way too many logistical problems. You couldn't get the gas too many miles over the ocean. But when we changed airplanes and we kept looking at what was going on and we kept reevaluating the route, we never quit planning and we kept looking forward. And just somehow all of a sudden we're telling the world that we're going to do the Southern route that just a few months before we said couldn't be done today. But we figured out a way to do it. We figured out a way to ship gas into places where there wasn't any gas and how to get around a few others where we couldn't get gas. It should have shut us down. So I think when I look back at this part of the trip, the two things on this trip that come to light for me, everybody thought from day one we were going to cancel when COVID hit. They were sure we were going to cancel the second or third year. And even people that knew we were coming, that were planning for us, that were expecting us, didn't even start their planning in some cases in the Middle East until three weeks before we got there because they just knew that we couldn't make it. And so this was the trip that couldn't be done, that shouldn't be done, that nobody in their right mind was going to do. But somehow we managed to pull that off. And I think that's the thing that I take away with me from this part of the trip. And you put it into a historical perspective, in the history of aviation, there's only 700 pilots that have achieved uh, this flight around the world in a single engine piston airplane. Only 700. Of those 700, there's less than uh, 270 actually alive in the world today. And that's a certified race. I mean, we have to document it. We had to get, you know, document the whole route. We had to submit it into the 
uh, International Federation, Aeronautic Federation yeah. that keeps aviation records around the world. So we've submitted all that document. This will be an official flight that will end up in history books. And, you know, I agree with John. You know, everybody thought we, we'd give it up. In fact, we had one guy, remember, he, he early on, I think he gave us like $10,000. Yeah, yeah. He gave the Rotary Foundation. The Rotary enough. Foundation $10,000. And he said, you know, I heard you guys say this, and I thought they're crazy. They'll never do it. And sure enough, the first year you canceled COVID, I see, he says, good. Now they have an excuse not to do it. Second year, you guys came back again, and, and then COVID hit. And I said, they'll never keep it going. Third time, Russia, he said, they'll, they've completely, they'll, I'm glad I didn't donate money. And then he said, this time he came back, and you're going the southern route, and you actually took off. He said, I sent you, I think it was ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to the Rotary Foundation in the name of Flight to Empoleo, because he said, you inspired me by your determination. And you inspired me to your dedication to eradicate a virus that's so ugly to children in the world. By the way, it's yeah, only yeah. the second virus that's ever been eliminated by man. We're so extraordinarily close. The other one is smallpox, and it is gone. Mm -hmm. In two yeah. or three years, you're going to hear the polio's gone. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, John, you've been a Rotarian for a long time. You're engaged in this fight. This is serious business to you. Uh, why was this important to you and, and what more can you tell us about the fight to end polio? A lot of people don't appreciate that it's still around because there hasn't been a case in the United States in so long. Right. That's actually one of the biggest problems we face today. I joined Rotary uh, in 1986. That was one of the first things I heard about. They had just got on board with this uh, polio elimination program. And at that point, three-fourths of the world was endemic with polio, 1986. And we watched these charts go from red to green as polio around the world went away. One of the problems that we end up with here in the United States and most other countries, including of all places, Pakistan, is people think polio is gone because they haven't heard about it because the, the vaccine's been so effective. And so, and we hear a lot, well, why should I care? Well, and our response is pretty simple. Polio is a disease that is contagious. You don't know you have it. You can spread it easily, and we are a mobile society around the world. So for years and years, we've heard that polio is only one airplane right away. We saw that a couple of years ago in New York, where we had a first case of polio in the United States in many years, when a person from northern Pakistan came into a Jewish community in New York and spread the disease. Now, only one person ended up getting paralytic polio out of that, but that's that's the warning bell that we need to pay attention to. Right now, today, there's only two countries in the world with polio. It's Afghanistan and Pakistan. And so people think, hey, we're done. What do we care? We're done. It's over. No, it's really not over until that last case is gone, until those last uh, uh, holdouts of, of the disease are gone. People around the world, especially children, are susceptible to getting polio. And it is still happening today in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Fortunately, not nearly as in the numbers that it has been. What most people don't know is last year, the world went for six months without a single case of polio. We've gone three months now again this year. We have five cases early on this year in the, in the world of polio. It's not the polio that's the expensive part. It's, the, it's all, of the, uh, all of the program that has to go into investigating the diseases and taking the biometric samples and the environmental samples and getting all that tested 
to ensure that they've got the last holdouts of the polio virus out of here. That has to happen for three years. After three yeah, years, yeah. if there's no polio, we're done. It's polio free in the world. Yeah, that's that is fantastic. Fantastic. You know, and, yeah. and in today's environment where there's a decline in people vaccinating, especially post-COVID, a lot of people have dis, dis, dismissed vaccinations. Uh, the, we're at a vaccination rate in the world is at the lowest it's been for years. That sets up trouble for children and families who, you know, whose children will, you know, can, will be exposed to the polio virus. Studies show that sure. if we don't eliminate polio soon, in the next 10 years, we'll see 200,000 new cases of polio. It's time to stop. It's time yeah. to get across the finish line. For sure. For sure. Now, we, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk to John and Peter about their superpowers. So stick around. Join us for the Super Crowd Hour with Leah bollier Gatro of King's Crowd as she explains how you can start investing for impact with just $100 on August 16th at 1 Eastern, 10 Pacific. Register now at thesupercrowd.com. Welcome back. Uh, I am thrilled to have with us today. We've got some extraordinary guests, really. These these guys have done something that uh, very few people in the world have done. Uh, fewer still who are still alive uh, to tell the tale. But Peter uh, Tihan and John Ockenfels traveled the world in their uh, Cessna. And we are thrilled to have them on the show today. Uh, Peter, let's start with you. Uh, what is your superpower? My superpower is caring and doing humanitarian efforts most of my life. I've dedicated a lot of my life in disaster services and as a mental health professional, helping people overcome mental health issues and challenges due to traumatic stress. Uh, I've, I have a deep feeling in my soul for, for uh, doing good for fellow people and, and, and helping others. And I, you know, I oftentimes think of, uh, uh, I always talk about the, the three parts of an experience and the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. The physical is, you know, in disaster world would be the broken buildings or broken fuselage. The emotions is the tears, the anger, the frustration that people experience. But the spiritual are those experiences that are so powerful and so overwhelming that that experience reaches down into the most inner part of your being and changes you forever. And that really defines who you are as an individual. Uh, in, a, in a traumatic sense, I, that's a basis I, as a mental health person, I believe PTSD, but in, in positive things like this flight to end polio, boy, it's, it, it changes you and it, you know it's going to be with you for a long time. John and I planned a trip around the world. And uh, for me, this trip around the world became a spiritual journey. And it was so true, and especially when we were working in the ghettos and the poorest part of the uh, Karachi, Pakistan, holding babies in our arms and giving them the vaccine, talking to the parents, talking to the caregivers who are there. It moved me to tears. And what also moved, and I think John and I have talked about it before in, in other groups, is, you know, in, in, in Afghanistan, a lot of the resistance came from the fathers of the children who would prohibit the vaccinations. John and I witnessed in the yellows of Karachi where the fathers came out of their homes with their babies in their arm and they presented their child for the drops, the polio drops. And I thought that brought, well, that brought tears to my eyes. And I'm thinking that is the power of humanity 
when in one country they were people would be killed for giving drops to their children through education and creating an environment where they felt safe the men presented their children for the drops um that's that fantastic that is just moment. fantastic yeah. yeah yeah john what's your superpower well i grew up in a very large family and uh the concept of getting along with people uh comes into play because you know, you got 11 brothers and sisters, so you got to figure out how you're going to make this work. In our family business, I actually was working with my father initially, and then uh, as we went on, it was myself and four brothers that owned a company, and we ran it together. And to this day, we all got along. People trying to figure out how do four brothers get along? Well, you learn that. What we learned, though, was that there's differences for everybody and everything. Play to those differences, work with those differences, and you can make a difference. Well, I also found out through the organizations I've been in that being in that large family, we didn't really have a lot of money. We had to make do, but we also found out that we got a lot of help from other people. And I found out that returning that help, giving that help back and working in other entities, uh, Rotary or JCs or whatever the organization is, many other organizations I've been working in, I enjoy that aspect of it. And so even today, now that I'm retired, my wife and I still spend many, many hours every week and every year in particular doing things for other organizations for which we get no funding or no pay. And we're OK with that. That's what this is all about. On this trip we're talking about right now, this comes into play. Peter told you that we started this trip as a personal trip. We're going to fly an airplane around the world because we wanted to see the world. And that was a great idea. Well, along the way, we got to thinking about it. We're both in Rotary. and said, well, we, maybe we should use this for the better good. And let's see if we can raise some money for an entity of some kind. And well, both being in Rotary, it didn't take us long to, uh, to consider the fact, let's do flight and polio. Let's do, you know, bring up awareness of polio eradication, get people to donate money to the Rotary Foundation so they can use that money, put it to great use, and we can help eliminate polio. Well, that started off. We thought, yeah, maybe we could raise ten or fifteen thousand dollars. That'd be really good. Well, what it turned into is that since we decided that we were already going around the world, we agreed that we should pay a hundred percent of the cost of the flight ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we had some logistical support from some very good organizations, uh, such as Collins Avionics uh, uh, and a few other organizations. And Air Inc. is another one uh, that helped us along the way. International Fellowship of Flying Rotarians. International Fellowship of Flying Rotarians. Absolutely. Right. We'd have been lost without their assistance for right. some of the things we got into. So but we paid 100% of the cost. And our promise was that every dime of every donation would go to the Rotary Foundation. And, in fact, we told people when they wrote their checks, especially here in the U.S., put the words the Rotary Foundation in the name line on your check. We don't want it to say flight to Polio or John or Peter or anything like that. And that's the way it's gone. Now, when we got ready to go, by the way, the other thing that's happening is because it's through Rotary, we're going to, every dollar we raise, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation donates $2. It's a pretty darn good deal. And uh, we knew we were raising some funds, but we figured out shortly, as a matter of fact, the day we took off, we made the announcement to all the people that were at the airport to see us off. And we believe we had just raised our first million dollars before our departure. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, we're pretty sure that we've got at least another half a million dollars that we've raised along the route. Uh, so that's going to be a pretty good check to the Rotary Foundation over time. 
and you're talking games. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, Peter, we, we, we're running out of time. So let sure. me cut you off. I apologize. But we're, we're thrilled to have had you. Uh, let me just note that you can learn more about their trip. John and Peter, uh, they posted uh, a lot of the information. It's a lot of information at flighttoendpolio.com. And there you can also find links to make donations to the uh, Rotary Foundation uh, so that you can uh, join the fight and polio. Uh, this is a, such an important thing. But John, Peter, let me thank you both for taking the time to be with us today. We're thrilled to have had you. Uh, you're, I congratulate you on the tremendous uh, effort you've made, the, the, the success. Uh, I'm sure there were some scary moments, 15 hours across the Pacific or 17 hours at a stretch. Holy cow. So uh, we congratulate you for a safe return. I, <laughs> uh, I'll, let me just tease you all to uh, take a minute to, to, uh, to find the story that it, there, there was a hospital stay involved in the trip, as I understand it. So uh, there is so much more that we didn't get a chance to cover. So visit flighttoendpolio.com to learn more and to donate. Uh, uh, thank you both for taking the time to be on the show today. We're thrilled to have had you. Thank Great. you for asking us. Great to be here. Thank you very much. All righty. Let's do some good. <laughs>